Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. To finish off with the sermon series that we were busy with, um, I told Selna in the week I will finish what I started. Um, so I started with the sermon series varies that the six weeks in between, and then I'll finish it off for us today. But before I begin, let me just pray for us. Yes, Father, thank you that we can come before you tonight, Lord, and just come and say thank you for your word, Lord, and, and thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are present, Father, and you reveal to us, Lord, the truth and the beauty of your word, Father. And I really come and pray, Lord, that. It would not be just words that we hear, Father, but something that forms part of our lives, Lord. And I just come and pray tonight, Lord, that the love of Christ will come and take hold of our lives, Lord, and, yeah, and come and control us in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool, guys. So today, we're going to do part eight of the sermon series called From Called to Commission by Jesus. And just to explain um, the title there, you know, when I speak about called, it's not, you know, the specific calling that, that we receive. Many times we think that, you know, certain Christians, you know, they get a big calling, certain ones get a small calling, and some are called and some are not called. But when I speak about the word called, it's just meaning that in every one of our lives, there's a time that Jesus calls us to himself. So that is what that called means. It's just Jesus calling us to himself. And this will happen to, to every one of us. You know, either you have been called or Jesus is busy calling you right now. And then second one is commissioned. So that speaks about, obviously, the Great Commission. When Jesus said in Matthew 28 that go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in their Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have taught you. And uh, just to make sure that we're all in the same page tonight, you know, because there's, there's certain things that need to happen from being called by Jesus to being sent out to go and make disciples of all nations. And just to make sure that all of us are in the same plane. You know, how many of you believe that all of us are called to make disciples? You can see a raise of hands. How many believe that only some are called to make disciples? None, okay, great. Because we read in Ephesians 4 verse 11 that, yes, there were certain people given to the church, you know, the apostles, prophets, teachers, shepherds, and evangelists, to equip the saints for ministry so that they can go and make disciples. So all of us, if you are a believer, if you believe in Jesus, if you've been saved, then you are called to make disciples. You know, firstly, to become a disciple. Secondly, to go and make disciples of all nations. And... Uh, Many times you know, in the church we, we, we're failing a bit in this area. Not us specifically, I feel that we, we're quite good at making disciples um, and raising up disciples you know, and reaching the nations. Like Murray said, you know, we send out missions teams and, and we've grown a lot in the last couple of years. But I believe that you know, the issue throughout the church you know, and throughout church history as well is the reason why we struggle with making disciples is both the how and the why. You know, sometimes we, we don't know how to make disciples. We're not quite sure, you know, and we think that it's just something that might happen, you know, by accident. And I'm just going to follow Jesus and, you know, they'll, they'll just be disciples five, five days after that. And sometimes we don't know why. We don't know why we are supposed to go out and make disciples. That being a bit more of an issue than, than the how. But if I can just bring it home tonight, you know, fundamentally all of us know that in a certain level we are called to be disciples and we are called to make disciples. You know, like we just saw with the hands. 
we all know that we are called to make disciples, but if I can just ask real quickly, what is your plan currently? If you think about the strategy, you know, what do you have in place? Firstly, to become a better disciple, and secondly, to make disciples. If you can quickly just take a minute, you know, ask yourself that question, what's, what's, what's the, pra- the plan currently? And then you might think, okay, reading the word of God, praying, coming to church, going to small group. And that's nice, but we, we, we should have a specific plan. You know, Paul writes to Timothy and says, train yourself for godliness. And we all know that when we do bodily training and we don't have a certain program, there, there's not much results. You know, and see, when Jesus came to earth, he did everything with a purpose and on purpose. You know, he didn't just go around preaching the kingdom of heaven and then some people started following. No, he had a specific plan, a specific strategy. And there's one guy, I can't remember his name now, but um, he's a, in, before he came to Christ in a worldly sector, he was quite known for, for leadership development, training CEOs of companies and, and raising leaders, making disciples in a worldly sense. And when he came to salvation, he was frustrated with the church. He said to them, guys, we've been working so long to get a strategy to raise up leaders. You have it in the Bible, but you do it the worst. But it's true. You know, Jesus, Jesus did everything. And he says, you know, he sees the strategy of Jesus, you know, making disciples, and we have the keys, but we struggle to live it out. And uh, tonight I hope I can give us both the reasons how to make disciples and why to make disciples. Because I believe the biggest reason is the why, you know, the why of making disciples. And I'm going to give us four points tonight that I can hope will help us with that. If we can go to the first slide. Two passages of scripture, just to illustrate this point. There, there wasn't a certain time in the disciples' life where they all of a sudden had a different mission, you know. They weren't called to only follow Jesus and then in a certain time that, okay, now all of a sudden, okay, cool, you guys can now go make disciples. From the beginning, the call was to make disciples. And it says in Mark 1 verse 17, this is the first call of the disciples. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And then at the end, before Jesus ascends into heaven, he says in Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So we see the call of Jesus that he gives to each one of us is not only to come to him, but to become like him. You know, Jesus writes in Luke 19 verse 10 and he says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. In other words, I am a fisher of men, so when I call you to myself, I will make you become like I am, a fisher of men. And then if we can rephrase maybe Matthew 28, he's telling them, go make fishers of men. Go make disciples. The disciples' work is to become a fisher of men. So making disciples is to make people who are fishers of men. You know, if it was only the work of the 12 disciples, uh, the 12 apostles to make disciples, then we would have been a bit of a, we would have had a bit of a struggle because I don't know if you've realized, but they're not here anymore. You know, 1,900 years since they've been around. So it's all of our, of our work to, to make disciples. You know, and we should ask ourselves the question, now, how do we get from Mark 1 to Matthew 28? What is the strategy? What's the things that, that we have put in place? Because we're all called, you know, firstly, the, the most common um, identity given for believers in the New Testament is that of disciple. It's not sons and daughters. That's second to being a disciple. And we can always go as far as to say that if you're not a disciple, then you're not a son and a daughter. You need to be a disciple. You need to be someone 
that intentionally follows Jesus to become like Him. And I'm so glad Barry shared about the Lordship of Christ last week. Saying that we can't only have Jesus as Savior, we need Him as Lord as well. You know, we can't only get the benefits without laying down our lives. Jesus is Lord and Savior of our lives. He's the one that directs us. And when He says, come, He says, come to be a disciple. And then I'll never forget something that Murray shared with us. Um, when we were, 2016, we went to Peter Maritzburg to go and help with the church plant there. And uh, Murray was preaching that night, and he preached about the family business, speaking about church. It's a lovely name, eh? the family business. And then um, the one thing that he said is, and always, you know, always, I'll always be reminded of that, that when God gives you a purpose, He'll give you enough time for that purpose. You know, many times we think that God has given us this purpose, but we don't have time. And the reason then is that we're either busy with stuff that we should not be busy with, or we're just lazy and we don't manage our time well. And that's the reason many times when we ask ourselves, you know, why are we not making disciples? Why aren't we going out to reach the lost? You know, it's because we're busy with, with stuff that we should not be busy with, but I believe the biggest reason is the why, the why of going out. Why should we make disciples? Why should we become better disciples? And uh, I hope I can help us with that tonight as well. And uh, what we will be looking at is three passages of Scripture that is given to us in Matthew 9, end of Matthew 9, beginning of Matthew 10, and then Mark 3 and Luke 6. And theologians call it the missions or the discipleship discourse of Jesus. And these three passages are the same thing that happened, but in different passages of the gospel. And certain, you know, they call Matthew, Mark, and Luke the synoptic gospels. They, they're very much alike. And many times, we've ever read a passage of scripture in Mark, and then you go read it in, in Luke, and you think, no, but what's going on here? It doesn't seem to be the same thing. It seems to be that the thing they say here is not the thing that they say there. And the thing is, you know, 10 to 1, Mark was sitting with Luke's gospel, and he's busy writing his gospel because they weren't all written at the same time. And he says, okay, cool, Luke's already, get this, he already got this passage in there, so let me focus on this part so that I can highlight this, what happened, because John says, you know, if they had to write a book of everything Jesus did, the whole earth would not be enough space to contain the books in the end of uh, John's gospel. So what we're going to do tonight, um, and I hope you can use it as a Bible study tool as well, is merge these passages we're going to take the three passages and place them in chronological order. You know, from what happened first, what happened second. Because many people teach on discipleship from these passages, but only from one passage. And then they either miss the why of discipleship or the how of discipleship. You see, if we only look at Matthew's gospel, you know, he says the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Then he calls the disciples to himself and then he sends them out. So it looks like basically what Jesus is doing is saying what we should do, and then he just sends them out. But that's not what happened. He first shows them what he has called them. So tonight we're going to focus a bit about that, that say, show, send, and support structure of, of Jesus making disciples. He first tells us what to do. He, he says the word of God. Then he shows us. Then he sends us out and he supports us while we are doing that. So if we can go to the next slide. We're going to read through this now as I have placed them in order. So you can read with me on the screens. You're going to have a difficult time in your Bible. And it begins in Matthew 9, verse 35. And it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, 
He was moved with compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest field. And he went up on a high mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have authority to cast out demons, and to heal every disease and every affliction. These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, who was named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Then Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, along with a great number of people from all over Judea, Jerusalem, and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those troubled by unclean spirits were healed. The entire crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming out from him and healing them all. Do you see how nice the story flows together when you merge the passages? You know, it seems like the same story if you had to remove the verses. It would be like the same passage of the same book. And we get it in, in a lot of places in Scripture. You know, for example, when Jesus was crucified, the centurion standing at Jesus' feet in, in, in Luke's Gospel, it says, surely this was an innocent man. In Mark's Gospel, it says, surely this was the Son of God. And when you put it together, surely this innocent man was the Son of God. And so it always forms together. Scripture never contradicts itself. It's, it's never, you know, no, we don't know no, quite. Maybe we should throw this verse out and keep this verse or chuck that and keep this. No, it always flows together. It always gives us a holistic view. And if we take all of these passages, then we can get a holistic view of discipleship. So if we can go to the next slide, the why. It's summed up in Matthew 9, verse 36. And it says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And that is just beautiful for me, you know. That was the thing that moved Jesus. That, it was, that was what set the discipleship discourse, the missional discourse into action. You now going and spending a whole night in prayer, the missions team say amen. They did it when they were in Zim. Um, and the reason for that was love. It was compassion for the people was nothing else that moved Jesus to come down from heaven to come and save us but love. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. What will make us send people out? Love. That's the only thing. You know, many Christians today, you know, we, we have the strategy. We have the plan. We know what to do. We have all knowledge. And we are spirit-filled. Let me just ex exclaim that point. We are spirit-filled. Filled with the spirit of God. We know what to do, but yet we sit. Not going anywhere. Why? Because it's not the power of God that compels us to go out, but the love of Christ. That's the only thing that will move us to go. You see, Paul writes in a 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14, speaking about the ministry of reconciliation, and he's writing to the Corinthians on why, why it is that they do what they do. And it says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 that the love of Christ controls us. That is why we do what we do. That is why we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Because the love of Christ has a hold of us. And yes, in, in verse 11, we, we mustn't forget that, that it also says, because we know the fear of God, we persuade men. 
And that also plays a role, but it's the love of Christ that propelled him forward. You see the Greek word there, cynico, for control. It means to seize someone. You know, to suddenly and forcibly take hold of. Isn't that just a beautiful picture? You know, why are you doing what you're doing? No, the love of Christ has hold of me. I, I can't help it. I can't help but go out. And that's what they told the people because they were saying, you know, if you think we're out of our minds, it's because the love of Christ has hold of us. You know, we, we can't help it. You know, and that's what, what Christ taught him. You know, it's not the love, it's not the power of God that compels you, but it's the, it's the love of Christ. You can sit full of the power of God that's not going to make you go out if you don't have a love for the people around you. you know, that, is, that is what makes us go out. And I'm so just blessed by the worship songs as well. You know, it's about a love for God and it's about a love for the people around us. And that is what it's about. You know, and some people, and yes, I dislike it a lot when they do it. They say, you know, when we want to get people motivated for missions, not, not give missions feedback video, that's, that's nice. But before we go on missions, to get the emotions all stirred up, play a missions video. Play a video about how people suffer in Africa and then people will jot down their names. It won't last. You know, maybe, maybe send you on, on a mission once or you know, get you excited for a night, but it won't last. Christianity is not based upon emotions or how we feel. You know, how many of us have, have heard a sermon or read a book or something and we were very, very emotional? Oh, we were so excited and tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up at 3 o'clock and pray to God. And emotion doesn't seem to wake us up in the morning because it's not there anymore. Emotion won't last. It won't last. It will keep us excited. You know, we, our Christianity will look like this. We'll be excited for a little while, go out for a little while, do things for a little while, and then we'll die down again until the love of Christ comes and forcibly takes hold of us. Then we'll be on mission 24-7. Because we can't help it. The, the, the Afrikaans say, the liefde van God dwing ons. Isn't that lovely? We can't help it. The love of God compels us to go out. And again, guys, please don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we shouldn't pursue, you know, the power of the Spirit. We need that. You know, the Holy Spirit will come upon us with power so that we can be witnesses. We need that as well. But Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 to 3, he says, even though I speak... Just speaking about, you know, the spiritual gifts. Even though I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a clinging symbol and a noisy gong. In other words, you're irritating and you're making a lot of noise. And maybe that's how the world defines Christians best. This irritating and noisy people. You know, but it, it, it won't help us. And many times in the church, those people that make a lot of noise, we see as the more mature people. And it's not so, it's the quiet ones sitting there and in the morning they are seeking God and they're going out when no one's looking that are the more mature and then it says in verse 2 even though I have prophetic powers I know all mysteries and I have all knowledge and I have faith as to move mountains if I do not have love I am nothing if I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned and I do not have love I gain nothing without love and we love to quote, you know, 1, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1. And we love to say, yes, desire spiritual gifts. And it is what it says, but the first part of that verse is, pursue love and desire the gifts. In other words, if you're not pursuing love, do not desire the gifts because it won't help. See, we pursue gifts. It doesn't say pursue gifts. It says desire them, pursue love, run after love. Because if we run after love and the gifts come, then the love of Christ already has hold of us. 
and we won't use the gifts to shine a light into ourselves, but say, look at Jesus. Because the love of Christ has all of us. And that takes us to point number one. For the love of Christ controls us. And see, guys, many times we just focus on the why before we focus on the how. I told uh, Werner Lawrence in the week as well, you know, sometimes I just want to enter a room where people are busy with stuff and say, why are you doing? Not what are you doing. I can see what you are busy doing, but why are you doing it? And many times we should ask ourselves the question, why are we doing what we are doing? Why are we here tonight? Why do we go to small group? Is it because the love of God has all of us? Is it because we want to desire to, to know God more? To represent Him better? To, come be, to become better disciples so that we can make better disciples? Or is it just based on routine now? The love of Christ needs to get a hold of us. And Selma actually said it well, you know, outside when we were busy praying. God just confirmed the word. Jesus says to His disciples in John 13, verse 34 and 35, A new command that I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. By this, the world will know that you are my disciples, by the love that you have for one another. And then Jesus actually takes it further. He says, start here, start here by loving one another, because if we can't love those for us, how will we love those against us? And then it goes further to say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I bet, you know, that some of the people in Jesus' time might have thought to themselves, yeah, mm, it's easy to say, how about you show us? And then Jesus, sorry, And then Jesus hangs on the cross and he prays the word, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then the centurion standing at the feet of the cross saying, surely this is the Son of God. Because I've never seen a man being crucified looking at me with love. Looking at me with compassion. That is the love of God. And may that love can take all of us. Sorry, guys. Okay, sorry. And just to say again, guys, you know, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. You know, I'm not saying again that we shouldn't desire the spiritual gifts. We need the Holy Spirit. We can do nothing without Him. He's the one that leads us. He's the one that guides us. But until love comes and takes control of us, you know, and just comes and shakes us, then everything we'll do will be in vain. Faith, hope, and love remains the greatest is love. And guys, to ask yourself the question, are we compelled by the love of God to go out? You know, when we sing that song, Jesus, I love you, uh, how does that resonate within you? And that doesn't make sense. Yes, Lord, I, I do, I love you. I just want to sit at your feet. Was it something difficult? Because if it is, do not feel condemned. He's calling you to come to Him. He desires you to be with Him. And guys, maybe also thinking to yourself, you know, how, how does this happen? How does the love of Christ suddenly comes and takes hold of me? You know, where's the love so that I can go there so that it can seize me? Or does it only happen to some people? If we can go to the next slide, here's where the key is found. Matthew 9, verse 38. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. And all night He continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him so that they might be with him. Guys, in two points here. Firstly, the first response to the magnitude of the harvest is not to go, it is to pray. Because many of us go, but we are not sent. 
You know, Paul writes in Romans 10, verse 13 to 15, he says, you know, everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, but how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear unless someone preaches? And how can you preach unless you are sent? How can you preach unless you are sent? I'll tell you how, out of our own strength. And that leads to being burnt out, no fruit, and losing hope. That feeling of, I'm not, I'm not going out again because it's not working. Now, I've tried to share the gospel, but it's not out of that place of intimacy with Jesus that he sends us out. You know, we went out by ourselves. And Jesus modeled this to us, you know, intimacy with God first. Many times the disciples would wake up saying, oh, Jesus is missing again. Let's go looking for him because he's in a desolate place praying to the Father. He modeled it. He showed this to them, you know, when the, the harvest needs to come in, he goes and spends a night in prayer. First, intimacy with God. And out of that place, we move out. And the reason Jesus calls us to himself is threefold. Firstly, because he desires to be with us. He wants us. Isn't that beautiful? Almighty, powerful God that desires us to be with him. You know, I told Mary the other day, uh, you know the song, um, Nothing Can Wash Away My Sin But the Blood of Jesus. Every time I hear that song, it's just more beautiful and more beautiful. Because the longer I go on, the more I realize nothing can wash away my sins. I've tried doing it myself a lot of times, but I'm not perfect and I still fail. But still, He desires for me to be with Him. And then secondly, to know Him and to become like Him. And this is where the love of God takes all of us. In that intimate times of prayer and reading the Word and sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, John writes in 1 John 4 verse 7, he says, Beloved, let us love one another. For those of us who love have been born of God and know God. Those of us who do not love do not know God because God is love. You see, when you're sitting at the feet of a God that is love, you know, He doesn't do love sometimes or feel like love. He is love. And if you sit at the feet of that God, how can you but help to love those around you? And it just begins to flow through us. So as we learn to know God, the love of Christ gets hold of us. And then the third reason is to find rest in Jesus. Salma shared this as well with us. You know, and the guy, Dr. John Andrews, he shared with us this principle of rhythm. And he says in, in the beginning in Genesis, when speaking about creation, you know, the first day, the second day, the third day, it says there was evening and there was morning the first day. There was rest and there was work the first day. We do not rest from work, we work from rest. Isn't that amazing? And then again, we see this in Matthew 11, like Silna shared, where Jesus says, Come to me, all who are heavy, laden and heavy, heavy labored, you know, you're tired. Come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. The moment Jesus gives us that rest, He commissions us to go out again. He gives us that yoke so that we can labor with Him. Out of a place of rest, we work. And that takes us to the second point. He called those whom He desired. And they came to Him so that they might be with Him. And again, guys, if, if, if you're feeling a bit far from God and you don't feel that intimate with, with Jesus at the moment, it's not because He hasn't called you. you know, because the key in that verse lies that, and He called them and they came to Him. We need to go to Jesus. We need to come to Him when He calls. And He has either called you or is busy calling you now. But His arms will always be open wide. Draw near to Jesus and He will draw near to you. Go to Him when He calls. And guys, and also, we need to start here before we go out because if we cannot seek hard after God for ourselves, if we cannot spend a night in prayer to God for ourselves, how will we do that for someone else? 
If we cannot follow the heart of the God for ourselves, we won't do it for other people. We first need to do it for ourselves. You know, there's this verse in Isaiah, verse, chapter 10, verse 12. And it says, Break up the fallow ground. Break open the hard ground and seek the Lord until He comes and rains down righteousness upon us. And it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be something that, that just happens automatically. You know, when it's a long weekend, the first response is not, Yeah, my Bible fraudless. You know, we don't think like that. When it's a long weekend, the first response is not, Oh, the whole weekend with Jesus. It's going to be lovely. It doesn't work like that. We're not inclined to that automatically. We must first break open the hard ground. Dig open the fallow ground. It's going to take time. It's going to take perseverance because Jesus wants to show us that in a world of instant gratification, this doesn't happen quickly. You know, the, the one guy, he says a quote, and it's just wonderful for me, you know, in, especially about prayer. I also thought, you know, praying all night, yes, what do you, what do you say to God? You know, and who has time for that? And he says, you know, you, you have a big problem. You are in a hurry and God is not. He's not in a hurry. So stop being. And there's time for everything. And guys, out of this place, you know, of, of intimacy of Jesus, out of this place, he commissions us to go. You know, it, it does make sense that we need to be with Jesus in order for him to give, to give something to us. He's not going to send it through PostNet or DHL. We need to be with Jesus in order for him to give us that commission and to give us that authority. You know, yes, also, you know, we, we must focus in two areas of our lives. The public ministry that we have, you know, we all have a public ministry doing stuff before people. And the private ministry. And we need to dig deep before we can build up. We need to lay a foundation to have greater influence with God. You know, many times people think, you know, say someone like me that preaches, you know, I have a, a, a greater public ministry than, for example, let's say Nalise, she's a teacher. But who has the biggest public ministry? Nalise, there's a thousand kids in that school. Yes, she may not spend time individually with each one of them each week, but more people see her. And like Jesus said, it's not about the way we preach. It's not about the power we have, but by the way that we love, that people will know that we are disciples. So as she goes through a week just loving the people around her, more people are influenced by the way she lives her life than by the way I live my life. She has a bigger public ministry. Where's the bigger public ministry? Werner or someone working at Sassel? Someone working at Sassel. You can influence way more people than we can on a weekly basis. And it's out of that place where we sit at the feet of Jesus, where we say like, Paul, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 11, verse 1. As I behold God, come and behold God. We can only take people to where we're at. And if you've been saved, you can get people saved. We can't take them to where we're not at. If we can go to the next slide. And he appointed 12 named apostles said that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons and to heal every disease and every affliction. You see, from that place of intimacy and rest with Jesus, then he gives us the authority to God, then he sends us out. And then a lot of people, they seek God for this. They seek God for the authority. Lord, I want to preach. I want to cast out devils. I want to heal. And then they never get it. And then there's other people, they're just seeking after Jesus, and then they get this. Because we can only find God when we are seeking God. And that makes sense. If we're seeking gifts and authority and power, we will not find God. And we'll neither find that authority and that power. We need to be with Jesus just based upon who He is. And again, guys, till this point, it's been about a year and a half in Jesus' ministry, more or less. The first part, he focused a lot about preaching the whole gospel to Judea and Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. And then a year and a half, 
the disciples went after Jesus, following Jesus, sitting at the foot of Jesus, never getting a title, never called apostles, never given authority to go and preach or to heal demons. No, they followed for a year and a half. And then Jesus said, okay, cool, the time has come. And he gives them authority and sends them out. And again, guys, this is just so marvelous. I mean, in Acts 4 verse 13, we get this picture of how this authority looks when Jesus commissions someone to go out. And the whole book of Acts is just filled with crazy stories that happened from the early church. But Peter and John before the council, and it says that when they realized the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated common men, they recognized these men had been with Jesus. Isn't that the most beautiful scripture? They're seeing this guy doing the things that he's doing, they realize, oh, he must have been with Jesus. This guy is coming out of an intimate place with Jesus. These people know God. That is why they do what they do. And then again, you know, the, the commission Jesus gives us and the authority that he gives us is to parallel a ministry of his own. Going out to preach, healing the sick, casting out demons. That's what Jesus does. And he calls us to do the same. It takes us to point number three. So that he might send them out to preach and give them authority to heal the sick and cast out demons. Great influence for God comes from intimacy with God. You know, as we grow in our intimacy with Jesus, so our influence should increase. Wherever we are at. And if we ask ourselves that question continually, you know, is our influence increasing? Because that reflects the intimacy that we have with, with Jesus, the influence we have. You know, are we sitting at the feet of Jesus? And in the church today, uh, E.M. Bounds, he writes in his book, Power Through Prayer, he says, the church is continuously looking for better systems and better program, but God is looking for better men and women. Men and women of prayer, men and women of intimacy with God, because the anointing and the Spirit of God does not rest upon programs and on churches, but upon people. People we can send out. And I've never heard a program being sent out. But people get sent out. Spirit of God resting upon people is looking for better men and better women. And again, guys, the strategy of Jesus is just mind-baffling, you know, it doesn't make sense to us. Why didn't he go call the kings and queens? The emperors, the centurions, the guys of great influence. Now it says when they realized Peter and John were uneducated common men. You know, not common in like our terms, otherwise you would call the whole of Secunda, but uh, common like normal, normal people. Not Secunda common, um, but he'll send us as well, eh? The only thing that matters is where will you be when Jesus gives the commission to go? Will you be at his feet or will you be somewhere else searching for other things? Now, because I've waited long enough for Jesus to send me out, it's not happening. I'm going to go try to do something else. And the fundamental problem was you never came to be with Jesus. You came to seek authority. Okay, guys, let's finish off with the last... The last passage. Then Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples, so they, they, these were the other disciples, there was about 72 to 120 of them, along with a great number of people from all over Judea, Jerusalem, and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They came to hear him to be healed of their diseases, and those troubled by unclean spirits were healed. You see, whenever Jesus gives the commission to go and do something, he first demonstrates that. And we, we are called to do the same. You know, when, whenever we call someone to go and do something, we, we, we call to demonstrate it first. And many people that only read Matthew's discourse of, 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 of uh, the missional living and about discipleship, they see that Jesus told them to pray, He called them and He sent them. 
And then we many times do the same. Go and raise the dead, go. It's like, how? How are we to do that? Go and make disciples, how? And many times basic things, you know, just like reading the Bible and praying, how? Teach us to do that. And we need to have humility in the church, guys. The disciples, it took them long. And I think it was only about Luke 17, about Luke 12, 13, where they went and asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. And also only because they couldn't cast out a certain demon and Jesus says these types only come out through prayer. Okay, teach us how to pray now. And it took them to just gain that humility first to go to Jesus. Lord, teach us how to pray. Two years into the ministry of Jesus. And we should have that same humility. Well, not wait two years like the disciples. I mean, you know, go and ask. Teach me how to pray. Teach me how to open the world. And that's why accountability groups are so good. But the reason accountability groups get, get wearisome is because we lose the why. We don't know why we're doing it anymore. But it's to make disciples. It's to, to, to raise up people so that we can be better disciples and to make better disciples. And guys, again, you know what's so cool about this? Only in, in Matthew 9 does Jesus send out the disciples. A lot of stuff gets done before he sends them out. He first calls them and then he demonstrates a lot of things. And in Mark 6, they only get sent out. But what's so cool for me is that in in Luke 9, he sends out 12 people. And then in Luke 10, he sends out 72. No multiplication. When the disciples come back, they, he must have spoken to them. You know, okay, cool guys, how was it for you? Give some feedback, give some support. Okay, I say, tell you what now, you've, you've seen this method, you know, of say, show, sending and support. Let's do it with some other people as well. So how about each one of you could get six people and we send them out. And all of a sudden, it's no longer 12 that get sent out, but 72 because they see the strategy of Jesus and they implement that. You know, in the early church, 3,000 people a day came to salvation. How on earth do you disciple them? 3,000 in one day. It's because all 120, there was only 120 disciples and all of a sudden 3,000. But it's because the 120 knew how to make disciples. They implemented the strategy of Jesus. And that takes us to the last point. Jesus demonstrates what he called the disciples to do. Guys, and, and we should follow this model. You know, firstly, we should make sure that we are sitting at the feet of Jesus and that the love of Christ can take all of us. And then we should tell people what to do. Maybe the small group leader is just a challenge and you know, throwing it out there. Go spend a night in prayer, ask God who's the next small group leader. Because it's not always the one we think. Jesus didn't base his decision upon what he thought. He still spent a night in prayer. Even though these 12 were with me from the beginning, it doesn't matter, I'm still going to go spend the night in prayer. Even though this guy looks to be the natural leader, I'm still going to go spend the night in prayer. Maybe we should go and do that as well. You know, calling them and then saying, guys, this is, this is what we think God has called you to, so let, let's show you how to do this. Let's send you to do it yourselves and let us give you support and feedback as we do that. And guys, we... We need to spend time with God. We need to pray and we need to go out. It's been 2,000 years since the Great Commission is given and there's still 65% of the world that's unreached or unevangelized. There's a little over three, little less than 3,000 people groups that have never heard the gospel. That's 2 billion people. Not that they deny Jesus. They've never heard of the name. Never heard. Why? Because we're sitting with our spiritual believers that knows the strategy, but the love of God has not gotten hold of us. Two, two, two little Christians uh, allowed the Spirit of God to come to shake them, for the love of Christ to control their lives. Guys, we need to be there. 
and we need to pray. So on that load, let's stand and pray tonight.